Chapter 14 The Sun There Nycteris sat, and there the youth lay all night long, in the heart of the great cone shadow of the earth, like two pharaohs in one pyramid. Photogen slept and slept, and Nycteris sat motionless lest she should wake him, and so betray him to his fear. The moon rode high in the blue eternity. It was a very triumph of glorious night. The river ran babbling, babble murmuring in the deep soft syllables. The fountain kept rushing moonward and blossoming moment, momently to a great silvery flower, whose petals were forever falling like snow, but with a continuous musical clash into the bed of its ex exhaustion beneath. The wind woke, took a run among the trees, went to sleep, and woke again. The daisies slept on their feet at hers, but she did not know they slept. The roses might well seem awake, for their scent filled the air, but in truth they slept also, and the odor was that of their dreams. The oranges hung like gold lamps in the trees, and their silvery flowers were the souls of their yet unembodied children. The scent of the acacia blooms filled the air like the very odor of the moon herself. At last, unused to the living air, and weary with sitting so long and so still and so long, Nycteris grew drowsy. The air began to grow cool. It was getting near the time when she too was accustomed to sleep. She closed her eyes just a moment and nodded, opened them suddenly wide, for she had promised to watch. In that moment a change had come. The moon had got round and was fronting her from the west and she saw that her face was altered, that she had grown pale, as if she too were wan with fear, and from her lofty place espied a coming terror. The light seemed to be dissolving out of her. She was dying. She was going out. And yet everything around looked strangely clear, clearer than ever she had seen anything before. How could the lamp be shedding more light when she herself had less? Ah, oh, that was just it. See how faint she looked. It was because the light was forsaking her and spreading itself over the room that she grew so thin and pale. She was giving up everything. She was melting away from the roof like a bit of sugar in water. Nycteris was fast growing afraid and sought refuge with the face upon her lap. How beautiful the creature was. What to call it she could not think, for it had been angry when she called it what Watho called her. And, wonder upon wonders, now, even in the cold change that was passing upon the great room, the color as of a red rose was grow uh, rising in the wan cheek. What beautiful yellow hair it was that spread over her lap. What great huge breaths the creature took. And what were those curious things it carried? She had seen them on her wall, she was sure. Thus she talked to herself while the lamp grew paler and paler, and everything kept growing yet clearer. What could it mean? The lamp was dying, going out into the other place of which the creature in her lap had spoken to be a sun. But why were the things growing clearer before it was yet a sun? That was the point. Was it growing? Was it her growing into a sun that did it? Yes. Yes, it was coming death, she knew it, for it was coming upon her also. She felt it coming. What was she about to grow into? 
Something beautiful, like the creature in her lap? It might be. Anyhow, it must be death, for all her strength was going out of her, while all around her was growing so white she could not bear it. She must be blind soon. Would she be blind or dead first? For the sun was rushing up behind her. Photogen woke, lifted, lifted his head from her lap, and sprang to his feet. His face was one radiant smile. His heart was full of daring, that, that of the hunter who will creep into the tiger's den. Nycteris gave a cry, covered her face with her hands, and pressed her eyelids closed. Then blindly she stretched out her arms to Photogen, crying, Oh, I am so uh, frightened. What is this? It must be death. I don't wish to die yet. I love this room and the old lamp. I do not want the other place. This is terrible. I want to hide. I want to get into the sweet, soft, dark hands of all the other creatures. Ah, me! Ah, me! What is the matter with you, girl? said Photogen, with the arrogance of all male creatures, until they have been taught by the other kind. He stood looking down upon her over his, uh, over his bow, of which he was examining the string. There is no fear of anything now, child. It is day. The sun is all but up. Look, he will be uh, above the brow of yon hill in one moment more. Goodbye. Thank you for my night's lodging. I'm off. Don't be a goose. If ever I can do anything for you and all that, you know. Don't leave me. Oh, don't leave me, cried Nick Terrace. I am dying. I am dying. I can't move. The light sucked all the strength out of me, and oh, I am so frightened. But already Photogen had splashed through the river, holding high his bow that it might not get wet. He rushed across the level and strained up the opposing hill. Hearing no answer, Nycteris removed her hands. Photogen had reached the top, and the same moment the sun rays alighted upon him, the glory of the king of day crowded blazing upon the golden-haired youth. Radiant as Apollo, he stood in mighty strength, a flashing shape in the midst of flame. He fitted a glowing arrow to a gleaming bow. The arrow parted with a keen musical twang of the bowstring, and Photogen, darting after it, vanished with a shout. Up shot Apollo himself, and from his quiver scattered astonishment and exultation. But the brain of poor Nycteris was pierced through and through. She fell, da fell down in utter darkness. All around her was a flaming furnace. In despair and feebleness and agony, she crept back, feeling her way with doubt and difficulty and enforced persistence to her cell. When at last the friendly darkness of her chamber folded her about with its cooling and consoling arms, she threw herself on her bed and fell fast asleep. And there she slept on, one alive in a tomb, while Photogen, above in the sun glory, pursued the buffaloes on the lofty plain, thinking not once of her, where she lay dark and forsaken, whose presence had been his refuge, her eyes and her hands his guardians through the night. He was in his glory and his pride, and the darkness and its disgrace had vanished for a time. Just like a man. Chapter 15 the Coward Hero But no sooner had the sun reached the noonstead than Photogen began to remember the past night in the shadow of that which was at hand, 
and to remember it with shame. He had proved himself, and not to himself only, but to a girl as well, a coward, one bold in the daylight, while there was nothing to fear, but trembling like any slave when the night arrived. There was, there must be, something unfair in it. A spell had been cast upon him. He had eaten. He had drunk something that did not agree with courage. In any case, he had been taken unprepared. How was he to know what the going down of the sun would be like? It was no wonder he should have been surprised into terror, seeing it um, was what it was, in its very nature so terrible. Also, one could not see where danger might be coming from. You might be torn in pieces, carried off or swallowed up, e uh, without even seeing where to strike a blow. Every possible excuse he caught at, eager as a self-lover to lighten his self-contempt. That day he astonished the huntsmen, terrified them with his reckless daring, all to prove to himself he was no coward. But nothing eased his shame. One thing only had hope in it, the resolve to encounter the dark and solemn earnest, now that he knew something of what it was. It was nobler to meet a recognized danger than to rush contemptuously into what seemed nothing, nobler still to encounter a nameless horror. He could con uh, conquer fear and wipe out disgrace together. For a marksman and swordsman like him, he said, one with his courage and strength, there was but danger. Defeat there was not. He knew the darkness now, and when it came him, uh, came, he would meet it as fearless and cool as now he felt himself. And again he said, We shall see. He stood under the boughs of a great beech as the sun was going down, far over the jagged, far away over the jagged hills. Before it was half down, he was trembling like one of the leaves behind him in the first sigh of the night wind. The moment the last of the glowing disk vanished, he bounded away in terror to gain the valley, and his fear grew as he ran. Down the side of the hill, an abject creature, he went bounding and rolling and running, fell rather than plunged into the river, and came to himself as before, lying on the grassy bank in the garden. But when he opened his eyes, there were no girl eyes looking down into his. There were only the stars in the waste of the night. A sunless night, the awful all-enemy he had again dared, but could not encounter. Perhaps the girl was not yet come out of the water. He would try to sleep, for he dared not move, and perhaps when he woke he would find his head on her lap, beautiful dark, and the beautiful dark face with its deep blue eyes bending over him. But when he woke he found his head on the grass, and although he sprang up with all his courage, such as it was, restored, he did not see out, uh, set out for the chase with such an elan as the day before, and despite the sun glory in his heart and veins, his hunting was this day less eager. He ate little, and from the first was thoughtful even to sadness. A second time he was defeated and disgraced. Was this courage nothing more than the play of the sunlight on his brain? Was he mere, a mere ball tossed between the light and the dark? Then what a poor contemptible creature he was. But a third chance lay before him. If he failed the third time, he dared not foreshadow what he must then think of himself. It was bad enough now, but then. Alas, it went no better. 
The moment the sun was down, he fled as if from a legion of devils. Seven times in all he tried to face the coming night in the strength of the past day, and seven times he failed, failed with such increase of failure, with such a growing sense of ignominy, ignominy. Overwhelming um, at length all the sunny hours, and joining night to night, that, what with misery, self-accusation, and loss of confidence, his daylight courage too began to fade, and at length, from exhaustion, from getting wet, and then lying out of doors all night, and night after night, worst of all, from the consuming of the deathly fear and the shame of shames, his sleep forsook him, and on the seventh morning, instead of going to the hunt, he crawled into the castle and went to bed. The grand health, over which the witch had taken such pains, had yielded, and in an hour or two he was moaning and crying out in delirium. Chapter 16 An Evil Nurse Watha was herself ill, as I have said, and was the worst tempered. And besides, it is a it is a peculiarity of witches that what works in others to sympathy works in them to repulsion. Also, Watho had a poor, helpless, rudimentary spleen of a conscience left, just enough to make her uncomfortable, and therefore more wicked. So when she heard that Photogen was ill, she was angry. Ill, indeed, after all that she had done to saturate him with the life of the system, with the solar might itself. He was a wretched failure, the boy, and because he was her failure, she was annoyed with him, began to dislike him, grew to hate him. She looked on him as a painter might upon a picture, or a poet upon a poem, which he had only succeeded in getting into an irrecoverable mess. In the hearts of the witches, love and hate lie close together, and often tumble over each other. And whether it was that her failure with Photogen foiled also her plans in regard to Nycteris, or that her illness made her yet more of a devil's wife, certainly Watho now got sick of the girl too, and hated to know her about the castle. She was not too ill, however, to go to poor Photogen's room and torment him. She told him he, she hated him like a serpent, and hissed like one as she said it, looking very sharp in the nose and chin, and flat in the forehead. Photogen thought she might kill him, and hardly ventured to take anything brought him. She ordered every ray of light to be shut out of his room, but by means of this he got a little used to the darkness. She would take one of his arrows, and now tickle him with the feather end of it, now prick him with the point till the blood ran down. What she meant finally I cannot tell, but she brought Photogen speedily to the determination of making his escape from the castle. What he should do then, he would think thereafterward, uh, think afterwards. Who could tell but he might find his mother somewhere beyond the forest? If it were not for the broad patches of darkness that divided day from day, he would fear nothing. But now, as he lay helpless in the dark, Ever and anon would come dawning through it the face of the lovely creature who on that very awful night nursed him so sweetly. Was he never to see her again? If she was, as he had concluded, the nymph of the river, why had she not re reappeared? She might have taught him not to fear the night, 
for plainly she had no fear of it herself. But then, when the day came, she did seem frightened. Why was that, seeing there was nothing to be afraid of then? Perhaps one so much at home in the darkness was correspondingly afraid of the light. Then his selfish joy at the rising of the sun, blinding her to her condition, blinding him to her condition, had made him behave to her in ill return for her kindness as cruelly as Watho behaved to him. How sweet and dear and lovely she was! If there were wild beasts that came out only at night, and were afraid of the light, why should there not be girls, too, made the same way, who could not endure the light, as he could not bear the darkness? If only he could find her again, ah, oh, how differently he would behave to her! But alas, perhaps the sun had killed her, melted her, burned her up, dried her up. That was it, if she was a nymph of the river. Chapter 17 Watho's Wolf From that dreadful morning, Nycteris had never got to be herself again. The sudden light had been almost death to her, and now she lay in the dark with the memory of a terrific sharpness, a something she dared scarcely recall, lest the very thought of it should sting her beyond endurance. But this was as nothing to the pain with the which the recollection of the rudeness of the shining creature whom she had nursed through his fear caused her. For the moment his suffering passed over to her, and he was free, the first use he made of his returning strength had been to scorn her. She wondered and wondered. It was all beyond her comprehension. Before long, Watha was plotting evil against her. The witch was like a sick, sick child weary of his toy. She would pull her to pieces and see how she liked it. She would set her in the sun and see her die, like a jelly from the salt ocean cast out on a hot rock. It would be a sight to soothe her wolf pain. One day, therefore, a little before noon, while Nycteris was in her deepest sleep, she had a darkened litter brought to the door, and in that she made two of her men carry her to the plain above. There they took her out, laid her on the grass, and left her. Mm -hmm. Watho watched it all from the top of her high tower, through her telescope, and scarcely was Nycteris left, when she saw her sit up, and the same moment cast herself down again with her face to the ground. She'll have a sunstroke, said Watho, and that'll be the end of her. Presently, tormented by a fly, a huge humped buffalo with great shaggy mane came galloping along straight for where she lay. At the sight of the thing on the grass, he started, swerved yards aside, stopped dead, and then came slowly up, looking malicious. Nycteris lay quite still and never uh, even saw the animal. Now she'll be trodden to death, said Watho. That's the way those creatures do. When the buffalo reached her, he sniffed at her all over and went away, then came back and sniffed again, then all at once went off as if a demon had him by the tail. Next came a gnu, a more dangerous animal still, and did much the same, then a gaunt wild boar. But no creature hurt her, and Watho was angry with the whole creation. At length, in the shade of her hair, the blue eyes of Nycteris began to come to themselves a little, and the first thing they saw was a comfort. I have told already how she knew the night daisies, each a sharp-pointed little cone with a red tip, 
and once she had started, parted the rays of one of them with trembling fingers, for she was afraid she was dreadfully rude, and perhaps it was hurting it. But she did want, she said to herself, to see what secret it carried so carefully hidden, and she found its golden heart. But now, right under her eyes, inside the veil of her hair, in the sweet twilight of whose blackness she could see it perfectly, stood a daisy with its red tip opened wide into a carmine ring, displaying its heart of gold on a platter of silver. She did not at first recognize it as one of those cones come awake, but a moment's notice revealed what it was. Who then could have been so cruel to the lovely little creature as to force it open like that, and spread it heart bare to the terrible death lamp? Whoever it was, it must be the same that had thrown her out there to be burned to death in its fire. She, But she had her hair, and could hang her head, and make a small, sweet night of her own about her. She tried to bend the daisy down and away from the sun, and to make its petals hang about it like her hair, but she could not. Alas, it was burned, and dead already. She did not know that it could not yield to her gentle force because it was drinking life, with all the eagerness of life, from what she called the death lamp. Oh, how the lamp burned her! But she went on thinking, she did not know how, and by and by began to reflect that, as there was no roof to the room except that in which the great fire went rolling about, the little red tip must have seen the lamp a thousand times, and must know it quite well, and it had not killed it. Nay, thinking about further, she began to ask the question whether this, in which she now saw it, might not be its more perfect condition. For not only did, uh, for not only now did the whole seem perfect, as indeed it did before, but every part showed its own individual perfection as well, which perfection made it capable of combining with the rest into the higher perfection of a whole. The flower was a lamp itself. The golden heart was the light, and the silver border was the alabaster globe, skillfully broken and spread wide to let out the glory. Yes, the radiant shape was plainly its perfection. If, then, it was the lamp which had opened it into that shape, the lamp could not be unfriendly to it, but must be of its own kind, seeing it made, made it perfect. And again, when she thought of it, there was clearly no little resemblance between them. What if the flower, then, was the little great-grandchild of the lamp, and he was loving it all the time? And what if the lamp did not mean to hurt her, only could not help it? The red tips looked as if the flower had some time or other been hurt. What if the lamp was making the best of, uh, best it could of her, opening her out somehow like the flower? She could bear it patiently and see. But how coarse the color of the grass was! Perhaps, however, her eyes not being made for the bright lamp, she did not see them as they were. Then she remembered how different were the eyes of the creature that was not a girl and was afraid of the darkness. Ah, if the darkness would only come again, all arms, friendly and soft everywhere about her. She would wait and wait, and bear and be patient. She lay so still that Watho did not doubt she had fainted. She was pretty sure she would be dead before the night came to revive her.